With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Circuit because they're doing their 
public penance for slipping and having violations. So I saw some real great presentations from companies out there who um, are being very proactive. Uh, one of the things, another thing that I noticed was last year at this time um, when I had gone to ECI, uh, the Ford Motor Company was coming out with their app called the Right Way app. And this was uh, a very interesting thought of theirs to basically take their code of conduct and move it from being, uh, you know, half the size of a phone book and being single spaced to really making an app out of it that anyone anywhere in the world on their team could address. And based on that, which seemed groundbreaking about a year ago, there were many more organizations that we saw out there um, looking at their codes of conduct and looking at different ways uh, to reach out to the folks who work for them and actually making a concession that not everybody sits by a desk, that some folks are out on a pipeline or some people are in a truck doing deliveries. So um, one company that was uh, very neat was besides doing their code of conduct and making it much more accessible, uh, Exelon, which is an energy company in Baltimore, actually printed a bound copy of the book that was probably four inches by three inches. And this was basically pocket size, or it could also fit in a you know, little sleeve in the cab where one of their uh, service people were. So really lots of ideas out there how to not only uh, do things with your code of conduct, but how to invigorate culture and how to tie culture to corporate values. So um, I'm going to try to get uh, some of those uh, presentations to see uh, if we can share them, but it was just a, a real great conference put together by ECI, which is the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. We just got actually uh, a news announcement flash uh, came in um, that uh, the Serious Fraud Office in the United Kingdom has sent out what's called a Section 2 notice to KBR related to its uh, use of the uh, agent unit oil. And this um, is a notice that uh, the SFO is investigating. KBR around its use of unit oil. Uh, the uh, KBR had previously announced that it was cooperating with the Department of Justice, but it had not disclosed uh, that it was also the subject of a uh, UK SFO probe, Serious Fraud Office. It has requested, excuse me, responded, the company, to the SFO's request for information and has indicated it will continue to do so. So uh, this is a very uh, late-breaking story, but it's going to be interesting to uh, to really see how this plays out. The uh, unit oil case is ongoing and uh, could potentially be a, um, a huge case going forward. We had a, a couple of other FCPA and anti-corruption-related events this week, Jay. Uh, today, the FCPA blog reported that Novartis had gotten into trouble in um, South Korea for paying bribes to doctors, and we had really the anomaly of a um, um, a country enforcing its domestic anti-bribery laws against a U.S. corporation, uh, much like we had GSK in China. In uh, Korea, as in many countries outside the United States, there's socialized medicine, so doctors are foreign officials. 
but a $48 million fine levied on Novartis. Certainly no, uh, no spring chicken or chump change there. One of the ones that interested me the most, Jay, was the um, Shell E&I Nigerian corruption uh, imbroglio. Uh, Previously, Italian prosecutors had indicated they wanted to charge the current and former CEOs of E&I for bribery and corruption uh, around a block that was uh, awarded to E&I and Shell jointly in Nigeria. And E&I had uh, pretty vehemently, uh, has pretty vehemently denied that they did anything wrong. Not this week, but I think uh, within the past couple of weeks, uh, unfortunately for Shell, some very uh, troubling emails were made public uh, by a company called Global Watch uh, based upon a raid by Dutch prosecutors back in January of Shell's headquarters. And it appears that Shell was at least aware that some of the monies that they were going to pay out uh, for this block were going to go to a uh, former Nigerian government official who had awarded himself the concession when he was the minister of oil. And it's not clear from the emails uh, precisely the scope of the um, allegations against Shell, but uh, they were pretty pretty clear uh, that something nefarious was going on. Uh, the Italian prosecutors have also indicated they want to prosecute Shell, although not the CEO, current or former. Um, it's not clear whether or not there is an open FCPA investigation over this uh, either, but um, as uh, Dick Casson said, it's one shell of a mess. So that's going to be uh, kind of interesting going forward. Jay, we just had the uh, the chance to um, do a everything compliance uh, podcast recording where we took a look at Trump's first 100 days. But I thought since this is the 50th uh, uh, episode of This Week in FCPA, coinciding with the uh, 100th day of Donald Trump, that you and I might take some time to uh, to really go through some of the things that uh, we've seen specifically related to compliance and not just with Donald Trump, but really with the administration as a whole. So um, you had some thoughts on that. You want to kind of share with us what uh, you've observed over the past 100 days and what you maybe picked up at uh, some of the compliance events you've attended? Sure. Uh, I just actually uh, posted my weekend read. I was very efficient, so people get to read on Friday as opposed to uh, late Sunday night. Uh, One of the things that uh, keeps coming up is uh, a potential disconnect between what is said and what has actually been done. And um, in my weekend read, I kind of take a look at three recent um, speeches by the administration. Uh, AG Sessions was kind enough to address the uh, Ethics and Compliance Initiative earlier this week, this past Monday in D.C., and then uh, it seems like for the better part of the last month, uh, Trevor McFadden has out, been out on the conference circuit uh, reconfirming the DOJ's commitment to uh, the FCPA and, and to prosecuting uh, you know, with their specific intent of wanting to prosecute uh, individuals as opposed to going after solely corporations. So while that has been nice, um, I took a look at uh, Dick Casson's update over the past uh, quarter, Q1 in 2017, and there have been six uh, 
FCPA resolutions, whether they're DOJ or SEC. And out of those six resolutions, five of them were completed before January 20th. Now, keeping in mind, uh, there is probably a turnover at the DOJ, and uh, recently Rod Rosenstein was just brought in, and they may be um, a little bit under-resourced, but so far we haven't seen much of an indication during the first 100 days of um, you know swift FCPA resolutions. So I think that remains to be seen, but uh, I'm definitely uh, willing to give the regulators a pass because uh, there seems to be a bit of a changeover. Um, from what I do hear from my sources out at the conferences and out in the enforcement world, that we as practitioners should not worry that there is a considerable backlog in the pipeline. So uh, I'm willing to be a little bit patient and see what Q2 and Q3 uh, bring us going forward in terms of specific DOJ FCPA enforcement. So Jay, I guess I don't have the um, the level of uh, discomfort that uh, perhaps you have, or uh, uh, skepticism might be the better word, and certainly not nearly to the level of Matt Kelly. Um, the remarks of uh, Trevor McFadden really uh, teaser teaser alert there for our upcoming Everything Compliance podcast on the first hundred days. The um, Remarks of Trevor McFadden really uh, demonstrated to me a firm grasp of not only FCPA enforcement, but also uh, the rationale for FCPA enforcement. So if I could take a step back, when the FCPA was passed back in 1977, the general rationale was that uh, bribery is just a, kind of a moral outrage, and U.S. companies ought not to be engaging in it. Uh, for U.S. companies to engage in it really damaged the prestige of the United States. Um, and that uh, by having a law in place, it would protect U.S. companies from extortion attempts uh, that could be seen as bribes. Uh, that um, kind of theory lasted for uh, multiple years, certainly into the first decade of uh, this century. And after 9-11, there was a large number of uh, people who believed that the FCPA uh, enforcement was really driven as a response to 9-11. Terrorism, excuse me, corruption was viewed as a security issue, uh, a precursor to terror terrorism, certainly leading to crime, which led to leads to terrorism. It leads to open and porous borders, um, uh, that sort of thing. But what McFadden talked about was, I found even more intriguing, which was that um, by uh, enforcing anti-corruption laws literally, literally across the globe, of which the FCPA is one, the DOJ is really leading the effort to level the playing field. And when there's a level playing field on an international basis, United States companies are not always going to win, but we are still the strongest nation on earth. We still have, in many ways, some of the top companies on earth. And although there are certainly uh, very good corporations in countries outside the United States, uh, I don't think uh, it would be too big a stretch for me to say that I think we have the best you know, manufacturing and, and uh, commercial enterprises around and that we're going to deliver the best pro products and services. And certainly when given a chance to compete on a level playing field, we can compete on services and pricing. Um, so that uh, 
FCPA enforcement is really viewed as an economic issue, that it levels the playing field. It gives everybody a fair chance, not just United States companies, but also you name the country, Chinese, English, Brazilian, you name the country that uh, where the company might be from. So when you start articulating economic reasons for um, the prosecution of laws, uh, that really speaks to me of a level of sophistication, understanding, and commitment that um, – I think gets me over the hump of skepticism that uh, you and Mr. Kelly talked about uh, a little bit earlier today. And so even if Jeff Sessions sends out what may be considered mixed signals, um, you know, he's a political appointee. So it's just a political hack. And Sessions may or may not be able to spell FCPA. Um, but the guys who prosecute FCPA, the guys and gals, the ladies and gentlemen prosecutors at the Department of Justice, of which there are 20 now because 20 positions have been funded, uh, are going to continue to prosecute uh, the FCPA. Um, certainly at one of the conferences I attended, our, our mutual friend, Ren McEachern at the FBI, he made clear that there are two to three years of cases in the pipeline. Uh, for investigation and resolution. So if you cut off the pipeline tomorrow or even today at the 100-day anniversary, Trump says, I want to say I did something because I haven't done anything the first uh, 100 days except appoint a Supreme Court justice, then um, I did away with the FCPA. We'd still have probably another filling out the rest of his term uh, in FCPA investigation. So that doesn't even begin to start with talking about what's going on overseas and how countries outside the United States are beginning to see some of the same things that Trevor McFadden articulated and also that um, it's generally in their uh, governmental interest to prosecute uh, companies for bribery and corruption of their government officials. So um, I really see uh, more continuity uh, than I do uh, the skepticism that uh, that you and Matt uh, have seen. Uh, I I would acknowledge that, uh, you know, having skepticism is probably healthy in this administration. But, um, you know, frankly, um, I didn't get to have a rant on uh, the last podcast. Um, so the incompetence we have seen out of this administration has just been mind boggling. And that incompetence has led to inaction. And we have inaction. Uh, you have continued enforcement of existing laws, particularly positive existing laws that where the enforcement helps and benefits the government of the United States, the people of the United States, the companies of the United States, the reputation of the United States, the national defense of the United States, uh, and a variety of other factors, including the economics of the United States. So uh, people are not uh, – prosecutors are not going to stop prosecuting the FCPA because Jeff Sessions doesn't know his head from his hole in the ground um, when it comes to the economics of of uh, uh, foreign bribery and how uh, that hurts American companies, how uh, prosecution of the FCPA, vigorous prosecution of the FCPA, uh, actually benefits American companies. So leveling the playing field is not over-prosecution, it's under-prosecution, which works against that. Um, so long-winded way of me having a, a chance for a bit of a, a rant on uh, the first 100 days of uh, non-action in the FCPA world. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, so, sometimes we take these positions to have a good discussion. Um, I'm maybe not as uh, desolate as Matt Kelly is, but, you know, I am all about scoreboard. 
and there does seem to be uh, a lack of some numbers up there. So uh, I, I don't uh, disagree that it's it's a four-quarter game, and as uh, Mr. Belichick, one of the uh, supporters of our president, said, you got to play 60 minutes. So we're only 15 minutes into this game, and I'm willing to see uh, how the next three quarters play out. Well, as Jonathan Armstrong said, uh, he's going to one of the politicians in Britain is moving to a 15 month anniversary as opposed to a, an annual anniversary. So, you know, we can take uh, Bill Belichick, a noted supporter of the FCPA, overlay a 15 month anniversary on top of that and clearly come out with uh, at the end of the day, not only more videotapes of companies violating the FCPA, but enhanced prosecution of those who illegally videotape or illegally engage in activities that are videotaped all overlaid with a fair process so that when someone tampers with equipment, they are appropriately punished and they aren't sent off to a uh, uh, timeout for uh, four games going forward. Wow. If, if I got all those references, it was a mixture of Deflategate and Spygate. Is that correct? You did. All right. So um, let's talk about some other people having some issues. What about our good friends at United Airlines? What are they up to? Well, uh, unfortunately, United's had a tough couple of weeks. And um, I don't know if uh, Clan Rosen flew to Disney World on United or not, but um, they were uh, not accused of, actually had a passenger physically uh, ejected from a plane, dragged off a plane, and, and pretty well injured. Uh, their initial response was just abysmal. Uh, they accused him of not being willing to being reaccommodated and then claimed it was his fault that uh, he sustained a concussion. Uh, finally, though, after a couple of days, they uh, they turned things around. They just started to do uh, some accurate, uh, excuse me, uh, adequate public relations damage control. And what's um, impressed me, Jay, is how they move forward from there. Uh, reported in both the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, which we'll link to in the show notes. They've reapprised their internal controls, and they've given uh, gate attendants and uh, United personnel much more flexibility when it comes to uh, uh, removing people, excuse me, offering incentives for people to voluntarily take a later flight. Uh, they've uh, done away with uh, the bumping of passengers for uh, airline employees on non-revenue tickets. Um, uh, the uh, other controls support employees and allowing them to offer up to literally $10,000 to um, take a later flight. And uh, I have to say that would very much get my attention if I was offered $10,000 to fly somewhere the next day. Um, very much. United, if you're listening, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, D I'll DM you my <laughs> frequent flyer number. Um, the other thing, though, is uh, I was um, – Last week, I uh, flew to see my daughter uh, in uh, uh, Walla Walla, Washington, and I flew United to Seattle. And uh, the United staff could not have been more gracious. Everyone called me by name when they uh, uh, had to give some information which identified me, like my ticket. Thank you, Mr. Fox, for flying United. When I bought an item uh, on uh, for a snack, um, thank you, Mr. Fox. Uh, just uh, clearly they had been told to uh, go out of their way and uh, try to uh, uh, get some positive PR. So uh, part of uh, the criticism we all had around United was their incredibly tone-deaf response. 
Uh, but part of the lessons that you learn is uh, how to go forward. And I was intrigued by an article in the Wall Street Journal today talking about uh, Trump's first 100 days. And the commentator was, was I thought, fairly uh, honest in, in uh, not being brutal, but just pointing out that um, complete missteps by the administration. But the, he led uh, he used all of those to lead to this point. What did he learn from it? And that's what United did. They learned from from this. And for the compliance officer listening to this podcast, um, the three steps or three parts of a compliance program are prevent, detect, and remediate. So what did you learn from it? How did you fix it? What did you use? What information did you use from your detect prong that failed, uh, that identified the failure in your prevent prong to remedy that so that it doesn't happen again? When we looked at the uh, evaluation document released by the Department of Justice in February, they asked several questions along the lines of what information did you um, get in your root cause analysis? Did you loop back in to your compliance program so that uh, hopefully the problem won't happen again? So um, what's the lessons that the Trump administration is, has learned? I mean, I, I even think Trump has learned lessons, although that might not be possible for him. But certainly the administration has learned lessons on uh, some things to do and some things not to do. Uh, which is uh, right at home with what the compliance practitioner needs to do. Yeah, I think, um, you know, ab above all, no one has all the answers here. And, uh, you know, these situations completely change in terms of trying to um, predict and remediate corruption. Um, we've seen all sorts of different schemes that have come up over the years, whether it's, um, you know, over-commissioning people, or exchanging travel vouchers for cash. So um, there's always going to be some bad apples out there. But I think to your point, uh, United maybe made a couple uh, first missteps, but now they're learning from it. And there are lots of things that we discuss about out in the news, out in politics, out in the corporate world. And as long as you have your eyes and ear open, ears open, you realize that you have a situation that needs to change. And if you're thoughtful about it, I think that's all we can really expect people to do. And those who take the ostrich approach and bury their head under the sand, those are the kind of folks that, you know, we tend to take issue with. So, Jay, I wanted to uh, just highlight three um, upcoming uh, events where I'm speaking. Uh, the first one is on um, May 18th. I'm speaking at the the CPHL, North America Conference. This is uh, interesting. Uh, I'm speaking with Ben Lockwin, who's someone I've uh, spoken with and uh, worked with uh, from the ph pharmaceutical industry. And we're going to talk about risk assessments. It's really a pharma conference, but um, so I'm really excited to, to speak to really a new group of folks around risk assessments. And what, what does the acronym stand for, CPHL? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, the second is the same week uh, on the Tuesday of that week. I'm speaking to the uh, Institute of Internal Auditors Philadelphia chapter. Uh, put together by our colleague Jonathan Marks, who works at Markham, 
And it's a uh, one-day event where Jonathan and I are going to lead a uh, conference on operationalizing compliance. We're going to talk about the leading practices of an operationalized compliance program, why internal controls uh, are the compliance practitioner's best friend, how you can use transaction monitoring to operationalize your compliance program, internal investigations, and negotiating with the government. Uh, this is going to be just a fabulous one-day event. Uh, if you're uh, looking for any CPE, they're going to have eight hours of CPE. If you're looking for CLE, they're working on that. Uh, best of all, this event is uh, complimentary. So, um, and then finally, uh, I've got up my uh, Compliance Week um, session, and I'm really pleased to note that I am uh, moderating a panel of Ren McEachern and Kara Brockmeyer. So I'm very excited about that. We're going to look at the uh, FCPA at 40, where it's been and where it's going. So um, we will. I will have a link to uh, all of that information uh, in the show notes. On the uh, if you're going to be in uh, Philadelphia in uh, mid-May, I hope you can join me for one of those events. And if you're going to be at uh, Compliance Week at the end of uh, May, I hope you can join me uh, for that panel. And finally, next week, Jay, I have a um, webinar I'm putting on uh, through Compliance Week with Oversight Systems, and we're going to, once again, talk about operationalizing your compliance program. Oversight Systems, who I do some uh, consulting work with, have a transaction monitoring tool, so we're going to talk about uh, transaction monitoring uh, in a best practice compliance program, how it operationalizes your compliance program, how you can use gift travel and entertainment um, uh, data analytics in ways that uh, really allow you to operationalize your compliance program going forward. So I hope uh, some of our listeners can uh, either listen or attend to uh, multiple of those events that uh, I'm excited uh, to participate in. Do you have uh, anything coming up? No, I, I get to stay home for a little while. I've been on the road a lot the uh, first uh, quarter of this year. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Rod Grandin, who is based in the D.C. area and recently joined Affiliated Monitors. He's a former uh, suspension and disbarment, uh, rather debarment official from the Air Force. So Rod's going to be uh, representing uh, Affiliated Monitors. So hopefully you'll get a chance to see him in D.C. at Compliance Week. And, um, you know, I, I kind of did my D.C. rounds this past week. I got to spend some good time with Bill Coffin. And uh, we spoke about you and how uh, you are the Energizer Bunny, always creating content and podcasts. And then I also did have an opportunity to get together with Ren. Uh, one thing that I, I can give a little plug on is uh, based on our earlier recording of the first 100 days, I do have my uh, weekend read up and it's called It Was the Best of Times, It Was the Worst of Times or Ignorance is Strength. So if you have a chance, love to have you check that out on um, LinkedIn Pulse. And uh, please, uh, any comments, positive or negative, would love to continue the conversation. And um, that's about it. But, uh, Tom, it sounds like you have a, a pretty exciting May ahead of you. And um, I look forward to uh, connecting with you again next week. Uh, when we take a look at the FCPA week that was. So for uh, Tom Fox and myself, Jay Rosen, this is our show for the week ending April 28th, 2017. Thanks a lot for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to This Week in FCPA. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us as it would help us 
improve our rankings and get the word out about the only weekly compliance podcast. If you have any questions, please feel free to email them to me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com or jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to This Week in FCPA, and I hope you'll join Jay and myself next week as well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>